Hello, greetings, thanks for your interest in spiritual matters, and thank you for the gift of spending time with us as we open the Word of God and seek to understand how we can uh, more effectively glorify the name of Jesus. My name's Ethan, we work with the Venice Church of Christ, we're disciples making disciples in Los Angeles. And today we're going to explore uh, from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, beginning in verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant! You knew that I reap where I have not sowed, and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away, and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth." So Jesus is in Jerusalem during the final week of his earthly life. And in Matthew 21 through 23, had been teaching in the temple. And then at the beginning of chapter 24, the disciples are pointing out to him all the various buildings in the temple complex. And Jesus told them that not one of those stones would be left upon another. He then went to the Mount of Olives and the disciples asked him to explain what he meant and asked them three questions. When would these things be? What would be the sign of his coming and of the end of the age? And so the rest of what we see in Matthew 24 and 25 is sometimes called the Olivet Discourse, because it's all one continual uh, conversation between Jesus and his disciples. In Matthew 24, 1 through 35, is consumed with that question, when will these things be? When will Jerusalem be destroyed? That many will be led away to follow false Christs, nations would rise and fall, the gospel of the kingdom would be proclaimed around the world, they would experience a lot of, of persecution, uh, the abomination of desolation would be made evident, there would be a great tribulation, the kingdoms would be shaken, and it would be a day of the Son of Man. That the fig tree uh, shows the season, they would understand what they see, and that would all take place within a generation. The rest of chapter 24 speak of the various signs that would be true of the destruction of Jerusalem, but also of any other day of the Son of Man, and the final, ultimate day of the Son of Man when he returns on the Day of Judgment, that only the Father knows the day, and that's like the days of Noah, where it would come quickly. People were marrying, given in marriage, carrying on, and then it would start raining, and thus it would be with the final day. Uh, one would be left, and another would be taken. They would need to watch because they would not know when their Lord would return. Because if the master in the house knew when the thief was coming, he would have been waiting. 
And then Jesus compared and contrasted the faithful servant and the wicked servant. The faithful servant is the one who keeps the house just like the master's there, and he will be blessed when the master returns. Uh, but there is a condemnation to the outer darkness for the wicked servant who oppresses others when the Lord is away and will receive that judgment when the Lord returns when he does not expect. And chapter 25 continues in that same thought line. Uh, and the first 13 version, ver, verse, verses excuse me, is the parable of ten virgins, uh, which reinforces that importance of watching and being ready because no one's going to know when Jesus is going to return, especially about that vigilance and preparation despite what seems to be a delay. And now we have this parable of the talents where uh, he is continuing to emphasize uh, what Christians should be doing and what they're to be looking forward to, what the, you know, what will happen in the end and how that's supposed to inform how they're supposed to live. And he will conclude the discourse uh, in the end of the chapter with a vision of the judgment scene. So we have here the parable of the talents. Uh, there is a parallel to this in Luke that's the parable of the minas. Uh, which is in a different enough context and a different and enough different details that we're just going to leave that one aside. We're just going to focus on what Matthew uh, is presenting here with this parable in terms of this discourse. But even before we do that, because of some of the things said in this parable, it's good just to remind ourselves what parables are and how they work. That a parable is a recognizable, physical, quote-unquote, real-life situation that we have uh, that a spiritual message is mapped on. So we have uh, how seed is dispersed in, in um, Matthew 13, whether a field should be, a field should be weeded or not. Um, and here, how people make money. Um, is Jesus really concerned about where you throw seed or whether you should weed a field or where, whether, how you make your money? Well, there might be some concerns about that on a moral ethical level, um, but when it comes to uh, the message he's giving, the story is a vehicle for the message. And a lot of times it's very easy to get caught up with this me the vehicle and miss this, the message. Uh, the, the situation is to be recognizable. It's not automatically authorizing anything that is in that message. And we always have to remember Matthew 12, uh, talking about Satan and his, and his dominion, uh, that the strong man, you bind the strong man if you're going to go and plunder his house. Uh, Jesus is certainly not suggesting that it is okay in the kingdom to, to find uh, build bodybuilders, tie them up, and take their stuff. Uh, that's not at all his point. Uh, it's an illustration to point the message that... Uh, the strength of Satan is bound in Jesus and his house will be plundered. People will come to a knowledge of the truth and be saved. And so, uh, here we see a recognizable situation to explain spiritual truths about um, the use of what God gives us. And that's the emphasis here. And so we're presented with a master and three servants. And we're to understand that the master is God or the Lord. Uh, the servants are God's servants, uh, Christians. And so the master gives each servant talents according to their abilities. There's five, there's two, and there's one. Now this is a huge sum of money. We use the word talent as gifts. And that use of talent as gifts comes from this parable. Because uh, a talent is a ton of money. It's well over $1,000 in cash. With far more in buying power. Something like 6,000 days worth of money that a laborer would make. So... If you want to take $15 an hour times 8 and then multiply that by 6,000, you get something like what one talent is. So even the one talent servant is being given a huge amount of resources. And it's not really about money. The, the money is, is trying to communicate something. So a talent 
is some kind of gift, a spiritual characteristic, the abilities God gives us. And so we understand that the talent in terms of spiritual gifts. And we use that term so many times people go to the charismata, speaking tongues, prophecy, things like that. But you look at Romans 12, you look at 1 Peter uh, 4, that God gives gifts, and we are to use them as, as good stewards of his very grace. In the one who teaches in his teaching, in the one who exhorts in his zeal, in the one who uh, gives in generosity, etc., etc. So... Um, the abilities we have. And we see that in people, right? Different people have different abilities and different people have different levels of abilities. And the point here is God has set that up and people are different but complementary in order to, uh, that the weakness of one is made up by the strength of another. And each is given to his ability and then they're set out, right? The servants go out with their talents, the master departs. And the one who has five makes more five more, the one with two makes two more, but the one who has one buries it in the ground. So what does it mean here that they've made money? Okay, what are we supposed to understand that? It means they're good capitalists. Uh, that, again, is not the concern. The concern is what is being communicated spiritually. What does it mean? Well, you're adding to what already exists. You're taking like and adding like to it. So it's a very attractive idea. Okay, uh, it's bringing people to Jesus. Guy has all these talents. He's bringing all these people to Jesus. And sure, that's probably part of it, but they're being brought to Jesus because they're seeing the fruit of faith in the, in the life of the people. And the people are bearing fruit by telling people about Jesus, by showing mercy and hospitality and love and caring and, and doing the things God has, has, has declared. And so it's participating in God's work, bearing fruit in him, being those productive branches, so to speak, uh, from the illustration of the vine and the branches in John 15. And so we're told that after some time, um, the long time, in fact, the master will come and he settles accounts. Uh, the reconciliation. You know, we think of reconciliation as bringing two people together, and that's certainly true. But here the reconciliation is, okay, uh, I gave you out money, now, you're, now we're going to reconcile our accounts. Uh, that's a little bit more of a daunting proposition. And, uh, well, it's after a long time. And uh, so many people think that there was this ex immediate expectation of Jesus' return. But when we read what Jesus has to say and what the apostles have to say, there was already in there a built-in expectation that it might take longer than we would have thought. And we see that in Revelation with the millennium. We see that in Second Peter 3 with those scoffing. Uh, we're seeing it here in, in this parable, as in the parable of the ten virgins, with this delay, with this long time. And so, at some point, though, the master is going to come and settle accounts. And it's interesting that we look at how the accounts are settled. The five and two talent servants are treated equally. They both come with their different amount, right? The five guy has five talents more. The two has two talents more. Five is far greater than two. But yet, both hear the same message. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And this goes back to the idea of each to his ability in verse 15. Um, the reason why one got five, another got two, another got one, was that God recognized that each had different abilities. And not only do people have different abilities, there's also differing levels of ability. In our modern egalitarian age, that kind of rubs people the wrong way, where we don't want, because it becomes very easy to say, you have more abilities, therefore you're worth more. And it's very difficult to mentally keep in our heads that people can have the same value in the sight of God, 
but have differing abilities and different levels of abilities. And they both reached up their ability. They both received the same reward. And it's really important for us to consider this, uh, like in 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, that we need to use the gifts God gave us to serve one another to glorify Him. That uh, a two-talent servant can't look at a five-talent servant and say, I'm not good enough. Uh, because a two-talent servant is not being uh, held to the uh, same expectation as a five-talent servant, because he's always got two talents. It is enough for the two-talent servant to make two more. The five-talent servant can't say, well, ah, I've got more than two, the two-talent servant, so I am better. Uh, no, it just means that he has been given more, and therefore he bears more responsibility. The five-talent servant can't look at the two-talent servant and say, well, you know what? Uh, he only has to make two more talents, so I'm just going to take these five and make two. Uh, they, we do not have any confidence that if he comes back with two talents, having been given five, that he would enter into the joy of his master. Maybe he would, maybe he wouldn't. We can't assume that he would. Because each is according to his ability. God is going to hold us to the standard of what he's given us. And if we've been given more, that's a stronger and greater trust, perhaps, but it also means that there's greater accountability, that there's greater responsibility there. And uh, it is not for the five-talent servant to look down upon the two-talent servant. It's not for the two-talent servant to uh, despair or to think the five-talent servant is greater than he. Uh, we are to each glorify God according to what he has given us. We all are different parts of the body in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. And uh, we all can do different things. And, and the important thing about this, though, is that it's also not a cop-out. That all of us have been commanded to do the same things. Some things we're going to find to be easier than other things. And, and we need to recognize that, of course. Um, we have strengths and weaknesses. we got to play to our strengths and we got to reinforce our weaknesses. Um, and as long as we are living up to our uh, abilities, God uh, will commend us. And, and so we, we it, that's what's also important to really understand. Am I a five-talent servant, two-talent servant, one-talent servant? To look at ourselves honestly, not just deprecate ourselves thinking that we're nothing. Uh, but in Christ, realize, no, God has given gifts to me. I need to use them to glorify him. And I can't rest on my laurels if I have more and uh, only do a little. And I can't despair that I wasn't given more and therefore don't do anything with what I have. Each must glorify God with what God has given them. And now we get to the third servant. If we follow the same logic as the five and two talent servant, the one talent servant said, here is, uh, you gave me one talent, here's another talent. He would have heard the same commendation. But he doesn't just come to this master uh, on like the other two do. He comes and he, and he makes an insinuation, an accusation. I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where scattered no seed. I was afraid. I hid the talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. And notice the master doesn't say, you're wrong. Well, you said, you knew I was a hard man, reaping where I did not sow, gathering where I had not uh, scattered no seed. Uh, so why didn't you at least do something? And so we should look at G God or Jesus as this harsh master. Uh... We need to be careful because it's kind of mapping onto spiritual truths. Uh, God is love. God provides bountifully, but God God has some expectations. It doesn't make him harsh. That's the accusation of the servant, but the accusation is because the servant is looking at God as his object of fear and terror. Uh, because um, he's got a very 
jaundiced view of God. He's got this, who, who, what is, who is God to demand these things of me? This entirely the fault of the servant. I think Jesus is, is telling us how the servant explains himself to warn us against that way of looking at God. Uh, that we can either look at this situation as God has given us gifts and expects us to, to bless others with the gifts um, and to look at that in, in a positive framework. Or we can look at it as God is expecting us to do work uh, that he himself is not doing. Uh, and that's not going to lead us in a healthy place. Um, that God should, We should understand that God is working through us and will be uh, glorified in us if we also commit to him and submit to him and do his work. And so the servant here is very much chastised. He is called wicked. He is called slothful. He gives back to the master what is his, but the master is very disappointed. You could have at least given the money to the bankers, and I would have had what is mine with interest. Um, This is where we get to that whole facile, okay, now we can authorize to make interest on money. Remember, even in the ancient world, interest is a thing. That's that's difficult. Uh, You're technically not supposed to... uh, lend money at interest to your fellow Israelite under the law. Uh, so that whole issue of interest is a very uh, nebulous area. And so to use this as kind of some authorization for some kind of financial work in the church or something like that is going well beyond what this passage can sustain. It's a metaphor mapping onto spiritual truths. What does it mean to make interest on a talent? Maybe you're not able to bring people to Jesus. Maybe you're not doing great at, you're not as successful uh, in other ways, but you at least are developing what God has given you, that you have grown in your faith, you develop your spiritual gifts and your abilities. Uh, We should at least be maturing in our own faith in Hebrews 5 and verse 14. And so the one talent of that third servant is given to the first one who has 10. And this is something also that is kind of offensive to modern ears, but Jesus has said many times, uh, where the one who has will receive more, and the one who doesn't have, even what he has, will be taken away. This is not the only time that he talks about this. Uh, it's Matthew thirteen twelve as well, that there's this kind of uh, magnification of benefits, magnify for the righteous, uh, but those who work in wickedness will lose everything. That if you, in fear, try to hold on to what you've got, you lose it. And if you, in faith, let it go and let it blossom according to what God would have, you will be, have even more than you would have imagined. And then the wicked servant is cast into hell. Um, the, the the language of the parable here kind of just fades into... Uh, the, the parable gets dropped all of a sudden. Uh, no earthly master is able to cast a servant into the outer darkness. And so it becomes very clear that the master is not just any human master, it's God. And that these servants uh, are, are not just random servants, they are people in the sight of God. And of course, remember, he's an Israelite, speaking to Israelites, these are covenant people of God. We understand it in terms of Christians, and I think it's an appropriate com- comparison. Uh, but also, it refer here to, also to uh, to Israelites. Um and so we see here that a person who is a person of God, who is a servant of God, remember the, the, the one talent servant God recognizes as his, has given a gift, a considerable gift. Again, it's 6,000 days worth of money uh, of a laborer. It's still a ton. Not as much as two or five, but it's still a lot. And he's just sat on it. He hasn't developed it. He, he looks to God as if God is this oppressive, uh, awful uh, creator. Uh, and um, he's now cast into outer darkness. Um, Outer darkness is a metaphor about hell that is used uniquely 
for people of God. We see it in Matthew 8. We see it um, here uh, because outer darkness doesn't mean anything if you don't recognize God as a source of light and life. If God is a source of light and life, outer darkness is as far from God as you can possibly be. And that's that's a very terrifying thing if you believe you are in God in the light. And uh, a lot of people find this very offensive. How can the servant be condemned for not growing or developing at least himself? Well, in James 4.17, did him who know the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. And so it's He's sinning. He's he's in sin. He might be a person of God, but he's in sin. And it's a reminder that all of that very comforting theology, that once you are in the covenant of people of God, that somehow that means you're saved, is totally false. Uh, just because you're a covenant person of God, entered into the covenant, does not mean you're saved. Uh, we see over and over again in Israel and here and throughout the Bible that uh, it's not enough just to be among the people of God. That uh, there is this expectation that you are seeking relationship with God and you are doing your part. Not that your part earns it. Uh, the five-talent servant did not earn uh, his standing before his master because he's made five more talents. Uh, he received the talents to begin with to make more talents because he had already received favor and grace in the sight of God. Um, and even the ability to make it is according to the grace of God. Uh, but he did not receive the commendation of his master without having put in the effort. And of course, the challenge here is that uh, this last servant did not put in the effort. He buried it. He, he took what God gave him and he buried it. And that maps on so much to so many people, right? That a lot of people look to God as a, as in a terrifying uh, a cre a creator who's out to get them. And they are petrified of doing the wrong thing, so they don't do anything. They just take what God gives them and bury it. They just sit there. They may show up to church. They may do this or that. You don't see a lot of spiritual growth. You don't see any development of what God has given them. Um, maybe trying to even skate by doing the least amount possible. And uh, this is a warning for such people that, you know, what we're doing now matters. That this is all part of God's plan. You know, this is not a frustration of God's plan. Jesus could come back at any time. But since Jesus is not here, we're to spend the time working in his kingdom. We're to be taking the talents he's given us and use them to make more talents. Uh, to bring more people in, to manifest more holiness, to uh, bear fruit uh, in our faith and witness to Jesus in all that we do. And, uh, I mean, this is not like something that is just in, in G Matthew 25. Uh, Peter will say something similar. Second uh, Peter 3.11 Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, uh, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will burn, will melt as they burn? Um, that What sort of people ought you to be in lives of godliness and holiness? What sort of people ought you to be using what God gave you and, and bearing fruit for Him? Uh, very much on the same um, same track, same idea. And so, uh, the core of what's going on here is th that the Lord is going to return. We are in his vineyard right now. We are in a time of, of work. And we can look at that as a drudgery. We can look at that as the, you know, trying to satisfy the, the imperious dictates of a, of a tyrannical master and get afraid. That's not going to lead us toward life. Uh, we have to joyfully uh, rejoice in what God has done for us and seek to embody to others what God has done for us and to bear fruit for him. 
And if we do, we will enter the joy of our master. But if we just hold on, clinging for what God's gave us and, and don't develop it, don't cultivate it, uh, here you have what is yours mentality, we're going to be cast into the outer darkness. Uh, and, and there's the thing. Just being a covenant person of God does not mean you are safe from outer darkness. That we have to be uh, productive servants, faithful to God, committed to his purposes, displaying his covenant loyalty to others. So that's why it's so important for us to ask ourselves, um, if our master came back and settled accounts with us today, what would we have to show for the talents he's given us? Can we say, here, you have given me this number of talents, here, this number more talents? Or we're going to say, hey, uh, you are a hard man, and I have just, I was afraid. Here you have what is yours. Are we going to enter the joy of our master, or are we going to hear that we are wicked and slothful, and that we are to be cast out, and what we would have would be given to others? So it's so important for us all to live in ways that glorify Jesus and to use what he has given us to serve one another and to glorify him as good stewards of his varied grace. Let us pray. Father, hallowed be your name. We're so thankful, Father, that you have given us all the gifts of, of the creation, uh, every spiritual blessing in Jesus, for Jesus and, and the hope of redemption and resurrection in him, for the spirit through which you strengthen us, for your word, for uh, one another, for all the blessings, so many of them that we take for granted. And as we've explored what you have said through Jesus uh, regarding our life right now, we pray, Father, that we would have the heart and mind to be the kind of servant who takes the gifts you've given us to use them to glorify you and to advance your purposes and to submit to your purposes. We pray, Father, that we would not have a heart uh, that would fear and that would cower in terror and that would assign to you evil motives, uh, that we instead have a heart to trust you, a heart to do your will, uh, and that you would strengthen and empower us to do your will so that we can hear on that final day uh, that we are to be commended by you and to in, enter into your joy and enter into life with you forever. Um, we pray very fervently that Jesus would return and that, uh, that we would have the day of resurrection and be able to share in life with you for all eternity. We look forward to that day earnestly. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We're again so glad that you've joined us. We hope you've been benefited by this. We want to thank you for your gift of this time. Uh, please reach out to us at VenturechofChrist.org or subscribe to our podcast wherever you found us. Um, if you have a prayer request, if you'd like to talk more about these things, any way we can be of service. And may God bless and keep you until we're able to meet again.